Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Wow, that was underwhelming. <laughs> Happy New Year. It's not quite time. Maybe that's why you weren't quite quick on that. Thank you, Luke and Charlie and all of these great musicians and singers leading us in worship today. You might wonder, how in the world did Mike Glenn ask Mike Harlan to preach? Well, it, it kind of went like this. He asked me a number of years ago, four or five years ago, and someone asked me right after the first service. It's been a number of years. It has been a number of years. I was beginning to wonder if I had said something wrong in that last time he asked me to preach. But uh, but for a couple of years now, I've been saying, Pastor Mike, I, I, I really would love to preach again if you find an opportunity. I mean, I, there's a lot of great pastors on our staff, a lot of preachers on our staff, and certainly don't need me, but, but I think I'm ready to preach again. And he said, Mike, you're, you're, not, you're not ready. <laughs> really? No, you're not quite ready. You need to work on it a little bit more. So some time went by. I went back to Micah. A little while later, I said, My, Pastor, I've been working on it. I've had some opportunities to speak. I think I've got some things working now. I think I'm ready. Is it, is it time? He said, you're not, you're not quite ready. And then earlier this year, when the Harpeth Heights ministry came alongside and became part of what we were doing here at Brentwood Baptist, they had asked me to be on that preaching team. So I went over there and speaking there at Harpeth Heights. I thought, I must be getting better at least. They're asking me to do that. Pastor, am I ready? Am I ready? He said, you're not quite ready. And just a few weeks ago, um, now a couple of months now, I said, Pastor Mike, I, I think I'm ready. I, I tell you what, I, I'll buy your lunch if you'll let me preach again. He said, now you're ready. <laughs> so, Pastor, I owe you a lunch at some point. That's not really a true story. I love the Christmas programs, especially the children's programs when we see the kids coming and that four-year-old, five-year-old choir. And back when I was worship pastor of a church, I used to love this part when those four and five-year-olds would come out. And, uh, and I love to watch the parents because the parents, otherwise normal people that act in their right mind most of the time completely go nuts when their four-year-old, five-year-old comes out to sing a program. They're out there going, and the grandparents are even worse. <laughs> Everybody's hollering. And so as a minister of music, I would, every once in a while, I'd wave back at them like I thought they were waving at me. How are you? It's good to see you. Four and five-year-olds really command. We want to know, and we want them to know we're there, and they want to know that we're there. So they, all that waving and all that. It seems like the child can't even move on in the program until everybody's made eye contact. But that doesn't really change when they grow up either. Uh, when my son Lee was 18 years old, a freshman at Tennessee Tech, majoring in music, he had called and said, Dad, our first concert's going to be on Tuesday night. I sure hope you can come. I want you to hear our chorale. It's really sounding great. And I wanted to come. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get there or not, but about an hour's drive from the office to the campus there in Cookville. And, and so that Tuesday afternoon, I'm scrambling around trying to get the last thing done so I can get over to the concert. And, and I wasn't able to connect with Lee to tell him that I was, in fact, coming. He just knew I was trying to. But I was able to get there right in time to walk in and find a seat. And then uh, I noticed as the choir was coming in, here's my 18-year-old son, uh, walking in in his tuxedo with a folder in his hand, and he's walking in like this. And I knew what he was doing. Is dad here? Is dad here? So you know what I did? I stood up and went. <laughs> no, I didn't, but I wanted to. 
we always want to know, are they watching? Is he here? We're that way as parents. Can you imagine a scenario where we're walking along in the presence of God and not know that he was here, that he was walking with us? There's a beautiful story in the scripture, just such an occasion. It's the 24th chapter of Luke. I want you to turn there with me. And we're going to look at it today in terms of what will it be like to walk with Jesus in 2019. And we're going to draw these principles from a story of two disciples that spend an afternoon walking with Jesus. A fascinating story that I think could be helpful for us today. Would you stand with me as I read part of this passage together from Luke, the 24th chapter, and beginning in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. And then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Verse 16 again. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the promise of your presence here today for your faithfulness that we've already sung about. And thank you for this story. And I pray that as we look at it together, you will instruct us to understand more who you are and what it is you want to do in our lives and all of it for your glory today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Well, the story begins with this phrase, in the same day, on the same day. Well, what day was that? Well, Easter Sunday morning. Just earlier in that chapter was Luke's account of Jesus coming from the dead. And you know the story. It's about a seven or eight mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And there are two disciples that are walking alongside each other. We have one of them named, the other unnamed. Cleopas was named in this. He's the one that actually will ask a question of Jesus in just a few moments. The other one, unnamed. The other details that we have is they were discussing, the Bible says, all the events that had happened in the days leading up to that very first Easter Sunday morning. We'll learn later in the story that they actually had already heard an eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus but they had not yet come to the place of understanding what was going on. It's amazing to me that these two disciples so close to Jesus was now, were now retreating from Jerusalem in discouragement, the Bible says. They were confused and discouraged and despondent. And Jesus never won to be far away from those he loves. Starts walking right along Sidon. He asked him, what's the deal? Now, we don't really know who the second disciple was. It wasn't, wasn't named. It, some have theorized it might have been 
another disciple that we've heard of, just unnamed in this text. I, I, I read one writer that said it might have been the wife of Cleopas, and the verse that says they were arguing and discussing leads some credence to that. Thank you for laughing. Whatever and whoever it was, they had no idea who had now joined them on this journey. I'll, I'll add something here I didn't talk about in the first service. This is fascinating to me. We really don't know what Jesus would have looked like in this moment. We know that the women, when they saw him at the tomb, they thought he was a gardener. So there surely must have not been anything extraordinary about his appearance either direction. He certainly must not have looked like someone that had just gone through an execution, but he must not have looked much like an angelic being or a glorified being. We know that he had not fully been revealed in that way. We do know that they did not recognize him. And we know the Bible text says that they were prevented from recognizing him. When you study the language of how this is expressed, it's an outside passive um, something from the external that's causing them to not recognize him. And certainly the, the, the correct view of that probably would be that God himself were preventing these two from recognizing Jesus, although he was walking right alongside them and speaking to him. They did not recognize him. And God did not allow them to. Why? Well, I suppose it might have had something to do with the state of mind that they were in. They were distracted by a set of unmet expectations. It wasn't what they expected. As a matter of fact, one of, the, one of those disciples themselves considered what the words, look at verse 11 of chapter 24, I'll let it speak. But these words, and that is the testimony of the women, these words seem like nonsense to them. They thought the whole idea that they had seen Jesus or that Jesus somehow had left the tomb was nonsense. They had a set of expectations for how this thing was going to go, and it didn't go that way. And it led them to the place where they couldn't even recognize it was Jesus. They had a set of unmet expectations. They certainly didn't have faith that Jesus had done what he said he was going to do. As a matter of fact, earlier in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus actually says, don't you know that the Son of Man will be handed over and he will be ridiculed and abused and executed and will be buried and will come back in three days? He had told the 12 disciples that and they didn't even hear it and it certainly didn't get all the way to Cleopas and his friend, they had a different set of expectations. And one of the things that will prevent me and you from recognizing Jesus alongside the, us in the daily lives that we have is we've got a set of expectations. If we do this, God will do that. This could never happen to me. This is what I can expect it to be like, etc., etc., etc. But we all have lived long enough to know that every one of our lives cannot be predicted that way. We, whatever expectations you're bringing to 2019, the only guarantee I will give you is that it won't be exactly like you think it's going to be. And if you think God somehow has obligated himself to provide for your comfort in the ultimate way for this next year, then you're going to go through a year with unmet expectation. And unmet expectation will keep you from recognizing the very one that's walking alongside you just because you were expecting something else.
distracted by their own unmet expectations. Verse 21, when they began to talk to Jesus after he'd asked the question, they said to him, well, we were hoping, and what they had hoped was not what Jesus had done, even though it had been prophesied for hundreds of years. They did not see it. So, they ask him the question, <laughs> are you the only one that came to Jerusalem this weekend and not seen what happened? Where have you been? <laughs> I love the way Jesus interacts with people, and he interacts with us this way in the Scripture, and when he speaks to us as we pray, as we listen, he is the master of the great question. The next time you want to have a great conversation, ask great questions. That's what Jesus was doing here. It's fascinating to look at all the accounts in Scripture where Jesus is talking to other people and notice how often he asks questions. What things, he says, and they give the full account of their expectations being unmet and how Jesus had been handed over to die and they crucified him. Verse, verse 21, but we were hoping he was the one who was about to redeem Israel Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. And Jesus says in verse 25, he said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't, and here's a great question, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. If we're going to walk with Jesus in 2019, we've got to put aside those expectations that aren't from him. And we've got to go to the place that explained the whole thing to us. You see, not all, they were distracted, but but he now enlightens them by the word of God and by his own presence that's with them. And that's how we will walk with him as well. The Bible tells us here that taking the prophets and the law, and then later in this chapter, around verse 44, the two disciples giving testimony of this conversation add a detail that we don't find in the first mention of this. The law, the prophets, and the Psalms. You knew I had to talk about songs at some point. The Psalms, Jesus took all of the text, the scripture of the Old Testament, and he used it and he walked through it and he described for them how these Verses, this text, the scripture was fulfilled in him. Can you imagine that Bible study? Wouldn't you have wanted that couple of hours with Jesus for him to take the Old Testament and says, let me show you how this thing really works. And if we're going to walk with him in 2019, we too have to find him in the pages of this book. The key to our experience of his presence and power in our lives is how we interact with him in our reading and study of the scripture. I hope you have a plan to read the Bible. You don't have to wait till January 1st, by the way. You can start today. The words of these pages 
we believe, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, are the verbal expression of the living Word of God, Jesus Himself. His story is on every page. Every miracle, every prophecy, every expression of the character and the nature of God found about Jesus in this book, the Word of God. He took it. He opened it. He explained himself in it to these two. And I want to tell you, my friend, in 2019, he wants to do the very same thing with you and with me. He wants us to find him in the pages of his Word enlightened by the Scripture. It's fascinating to see how this expression of the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, how it all points to Jesus. W.A. Criswell, well known for a sermon that he preached on a New Year's Eve many years ago that lasted in its first preaching about six hours. Today won't be quite that long. I'll be the last one here if it is. He called it the scarlet thread of redemption as he started on the first page and went to the last page and painted the portrait of a Messiah who would redeem God's people. Don't be distracted by unmet expectation. Be enlightened by the Word of God. It is the air that we breathe. It's the only way that we will find life. Peter would say to Jesus, after he had made that confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, when Jesus said he would have to go, Peter says, where else would we go? When he, when he told the disciples, Don't, you'll leave me too. He says, no, we won't leave you. Where else would we go? You have the words of life. They're right here. They've got to be part of our year if we're going to see the one that's walking beside us. I was in the Lifeway store here in Cool Springs now, oh, probably a month ago. And just there in the store, standing kind of near the Bible section, a beautiful young lady standing there in front of the Bibles. And it was obvious to me as I watched her, she was looking for a particular kind of Bible. And, and I thought, well, maybe I could be of some assistance. So I asked her her name. Her name was Jenny. I asked Jenny, uh, can I help you find a Bible? She said, well, I don't really know which one to get. I said, well, maybe I can be helpful. What are you looking for? Well, I want to read the Bible. And I said, why? And here's, I'll never forget her answer. She said, because I want to find out who Jesus really is. I said, oh, Jenny, let me help you with that. I began to hear her story. Had she had moved from another place and she had come from a, a religious tradition that had completely broken down when she was just a little girl and her family uh, had split apart. Her mom and dad had divorced and her and her husband had moved to the Nashville area because of her job and they began to say to each other, you know, this church thing's pretty serious around here. They began to have co-workers and other people and they would learn about churches like ours and they began to see. And so they decided one Sunday morning, let's get up and go to church. They just picked a random church and they went to the church and they sat down and thank God the man of God stood with the word of God and preached about the son of God. And that day that young couple walked out of there saying, there may be something to this. We need to find out more about Jesus. And now two days later, she's in a Lifeway store saying, I need to find a Bible because I want to understand who he is 
is. And I said, oh, my sister. And of course, I led her straight to the CSB, of course. And so I went to the CSB. But we got a Bible, and we went to that little coffee section of the store, and I opened it up. And my mind went immediately to Luke chapter 24. I went all the way back to the Old Testament, and I began to show her stories and pictures of who Jesus would be and all the prophecies of what he had come to do. And then I went into the New Testament, and I began to show her that particular Bible was a red-letter edition. And I showed her those red letters. And I said, you know what that means? That means Jesus himself spoke those words. She said, oh, I want to read every one of those. I said, yes, you do. And then I took her past the Gospels into the Pauline epistles and the other uh, books of doctrine. Then I went to the Revelation. And then I took her all the way back to the book of John and showed her again right here the story of the Word of God that had become flesh and was dwelling among us. And then I told her something. I said, Jenny, if you will talk to God and say this, I want to know who Jesus is. God has obligated himself by his own word to show you who he is. And when you see who he is, you will understand that your life belongs to him. And that's exactly what Jesus did with those two disciples on the way to Emmaus. Now, being the faithful member of Brentwood Baptist Church that I am, I thought only 499,999 gospel conversations to go. <laughs> I said something to one of the staff about it. They said, did you report it on the app? No, I didn't. I didn't. Taking the Word of God and pointing to the Son of God. There's a third thing I want to point out to you from this story. Not to be distracted by unmet expectations, but to be enlightened by the Word of God that's pointing to Jesus. The third thing that happens in this story, we didn't read this part yet, but if you keep going, as soon as Jesus reveals himself to them as he broke the bread, they recognized who he was. Those men who had walked all the way from Jerusalem in despondence now run back and get to where the disciples are as fast as they can to recount the story of how they had walked with Jesus for an afternoon and how he had enlightened them with the scripture and how they had recognized him. And they now are witnesses of the resurrection just as Jesus said he would come back. And while they're talking to them, the Bible tells us, in verse 36, as they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. I want to tell you, this is what church is. Church, are the, church is made up of people who have been walking with Jesus, who all come together to share our stories of who he is and what he's done in our lives. And every time we gather, the Bible tells us, he is right there in the middle of it. He's here today. He doesn't just come. He actually gives them a commission. We continue to read the story. Verse 44 says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. 
As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. And then we open the first chapter of the book of Acts and we see the empowerment that God sends Holy Spirit who is here dwelling with us to this very day. Far from being distracted by unmet expectations and being enlightened by the word of God, there's a third thing that we draw out of this passage and that is that you and I are empowered now to go and be witnesses of these things. A number of years ago, my daughter told us that she wanted to run the half marathon, one of the half marathons in Nashville. And I had the question that I've asked and wondered about for many years about people that run half marathons and marathons. Why? Why would you want to do that? But she wanted to. She was motivated. My son John was also motivated. They began to train together. They were going to run the half marathon. So they were getting closer and closer. Now along the way, she had had a setback or two in her workout. She had had a stress fracture in her foot that made running somewhat painful. It had gotten a little better. So the week before, I was asking her, do you think you're going to run? I think I will. I've trained. I, I, I believe I'm ready. I want to do it. Um, I said, your foot's going to be okay? Foot's going to be okay. I went, great. And I said, so, so are you going to run with John? Are you going to do the group you've been training with? What? No, I don't think so. I said, well, uh, Thomas, her husband, Thomas will be there. Well, Thomas has got to work Saturday. I don't think he'll be there. And, uh, and so, so you're going to be running by yourself, and Thomas won't be there. Your, your brother won't be running with you. No, I'll probably be by myself. And I thought, I got an opportunity for some daddy points. But I didn't tell her. I talked to a couple of guys on my team that run races like that. And I said, if I wanted to encourage my daughter, she's running the half marathon, 13.1. If I wanted to encourage her in the race, what would be the best way to do that? Should I get there at the starting line? Should I be? And both of them, independently of the other, told me the same thing. They said, go to mile 11. Mile 11, yes. Mile 11 is that part of the race where your body begins to scream at you. Why are you doing this? And why don't you sit down? And she'll probably be tired. It'll be, she'll need one more burst of energy. The best thing you could do would be to meet her at mile 11. I said, I'm going to do that. And one of them said, take some water with you. So I did. I got a water bottle. I dressed as a runner. Well, they told me to. And I dressed as a runner. And I, it, they said, look, when she gets close, just, just run out there with her, match her pace, and run alongside her for a little while and share the water and just encourage her. I said, that's what I'll do. So I found myself on the corner. It was, it was at a place in the race where I could see a long way, and I could see the runners for quite a distance. And my daughter, Elizabeth, she's in this room right now. She's going to be mad at me. But, uh, but I was looking for something because she, she, when she runs, she throws her legs out like that. So, so I'm sorry, baby. It's part of the story. Just, it's a, so... Um, I'm not going to make eye contact right now. Um, so, so I was watching for that, and sure enough, I could see way out there. Before I could recognize her face, I saw somebody running with her legs going out. I said, that's got to be her. And she got closer and closer, and I said, yep, that's her. That's her. And she, she looked like she was at mile 11. And so without hollering her name, without saying anything, I just left the curb, kind of matched her speed, and ran up next to her and started running next to her. 15 seconds, maybe 30 at the most. She didn't know I was there. Finally, she says, Dad, how long have you been there? I said, since the starting line. <laughs> she didn't believe it either. 
no, you haven't. I said, okay, babe, look, let me tell you. I've, I've kind of scouted this out. There's a slight hill here. You've got a big turn. It's going to get into a straightaway. It's going to be downhill, and you're going to make it. You've got two more miles. Here's some water. She said, oh, I'm so glad you brought water. The last water station was out by the time I got to it. So, so she's drinking the water, and I'm, I said, you're looking good. You're going to be able to do this. Come on, baby, you can finish. Now, a great father would have run the rest away with her, but I, I said, I'll see you at the finish line. I stopped, I stopped running. I walked two blocks over, kind of cut through downtown Nashville, and I got over to the finish line, and I stood there waiting, looking up that hill, and sure enough, right on time, here comes that. I see her again. And then now she says, Elizabeth Willis. And I found out later, Thomas had, he did have to work that day, but he actually said, I, I want to see her finish. And he had actually come across the street and was there at the finish line, but I hadn't seen him yet. I didn't know he was there yet, but I'd find out later he was. And I said, way to go, Thomas, good, good, good son-in-law. And, uh, but Elizabeth finishes, she gets the medal around her neck, they hand her a banana, and, uh, and she makes her way, and I kind of make my way, and she gets over there, and she just kind of falls into my arms. And here's what she says. I would have never finished that race if you hadn't met me at mile 11. I'd already told myself, nobody's here. Nobody's watching. My foot's killing me. Nobody would care if I just stopped. But when you said you would see me at the finish line, brought me a little water, I knew then I had to finish. And I went... I'm going to get a great Father's Day card this year. <laughs> I hope that picture's not lost on you this morning. Because there are some of you on the road to Emmaus this morning, and he's been walking alongside you a whole long time, and you've never known he was there. Do you know how many scriptures in the Old and New Testament alike say, that he would never leave you nor forsake you. It was one of the last things he said to the disciples in Matthew 28. He said it over and over and over again. I want to tell you, friend, he's running with you in this race. And he has what you need to finish. The best news of all is that he's already won this race. And not only is he running with you, he is waiting for you at the end. And everything you need will be found in him. Get in his word. See him on the pages of it. Cry out to him the way Jenny did. Please show me who you are. A promise that he made he would keep. And some of you may be at mile 11 today. And you wonder if you have enough to get through a new year, something at work, something with your family, something with your health, all of it can change in a second for all of us. He's running with you. He's within you. The writer of Hebrews gives us such a beautiful picture of this. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and set out. What that means is he's waiting at the finish line, and he is running alongside you today. 
and he will empower you to finish the race and to be the witnesses of his resurrection as we run it. Let's bow our heads together. In a few moments we'll sing and we'll go out this room. And every person here is in this race at some point or another. Some of you are watching this race, but you're not in it. You've, you know who Jesus is, and you might have even felt and heard him speaking to you, but you've never responded to him, and you can do that today. For the first time, you can do what Jenny did. You can call out, Jesus, show me who you are, and he will answer that prayer. I suspect there are a few of us in this room that have a little bit of a stress fracture. <laughs> we're out of water and we're tired and we're wondering if anybody cares if we finish this race or not. You're at mile 11. Well, I want to tell you, you've got somebody that's right alongside you who knows you better than you know yourself. He recognized your running style from a long ways off. And he has with him exactly what you need, and he's ready to run the rest of the race with you. Reach out to him. And for the rest of us, understand today that you and I are empowered by the Spirit of God. He promised that to those disciples. He promises it to us today. And there are a lot of people out there like Jenny who just need us to come alongside and help them know how they can find out who Jesus is. I'm grateful to be part of a church that has a vision to take the gospel to the whole world. And I hope today and in this year, all of us in this room will see our place in that and our part in that. And wherever you are today in this race, look to Jesus. He's the author, he's the finisher, and he's the one that will meet you in the end. We have a place outside in the foyer called Next Steps. And maybe for some of you, that's exactly the next step you need to take in this race. It's to speak to some friends that have been praying for you and praying about you all week long, looking forward to this morning in anticipation for having conversations with some of you that are here today. If you have a question or something about being a part of our church, there are men and women in that room ready to help you today. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for faithfully running the race and winning our souls by the shedding of your own blood. Thank you, God, for your victory over the grave and for the life that you have instilled in us when we've come to faith in you. I pray for every person in this room, Lord, no matter where they may be today,
the ones that are just starting, the ones that are almost at the end, the ones that are at mile 11. Would you come alongside your children today and make your presence and your power real and felt in these hearts today? And for this year, Lord, empower us with your spirit to take the great news of this story to the world where we live. Until the day we all gather together and worship you. And all of it, every step of this journey, every part of this race, we run it for you, Lord. Be glorified. Be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.